<laughs> Move, wench, vacate my path. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, wait, does the music for this board work? It's all good. Okay. It's all okay. <laughs> Any more scotch? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Literally Literary with us as always, Mr. Shotfall. I am Joey Bonnier, and here he is, the master of all vocabulary, Sean O'Brien. My guys, I wish I was the master of any vocabulary. <laughs> I really, if you ask me three questions, I will not know one of them. I will ans- ask you these questions Guaranteed. three. Answer me these questions fuck, three. I knew I would fucking fuck it up. Douche. Sorry. Oh my God. How you guys doing? You all right? What do okay. we do for food? Korean. Korean. I can't remember the last time we did Korean. I know it was like something. I feel like something. it was recent. Recent for what was aired or recent for what we recorded? Oh, what we aired. I mean, this won't air for fucking... A month and a half. Yeah. Well, we could put it out for a Sunday if we want. Why would we want? I don't know. It depends on what we read. God. I, I promise we fuck won't. fuck up my numbering I won't. I promise you I will not. I'll just... It'll be whatever it oh is. Although we did talk about... Well, anyway. Whatever. Um, I don't know. How you doing, Joey? I'm good. I'm good get, week. Yeah, it's feeling feeling pretty optimistic. Optim- how, how really? so? Why? I don't want to speak to topical issues. Oh, oh. Jesus! <laughs> Didn't you just say it was going to come out in four weeks? You can. It's literally literary. You can talk about whatever you yeah. want. There's no rules. You want. There are no rules to yeah. literally literary. Okay, Captain Planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I think the tide is turning. I think the world is spinning back towards democracy. Oh. So. Sean Fah, does that, me does that scare you? Glass half full. <laughs> is that a, does that bum you out? Did you were you no, most comfortable just, with? It, it's the the hyperbole is dying down. Like I, I don't think anything sure. has shifted. It's just people have gotten uh, at least used to the the cold, icy, frigid waters of Donald Trump on their toe, and they are now mm-hmm. ready to put in a calf, maybe even a thigh. But well, uh, my nipples are hard. Exactly. Speaking of hyperbole, I have books. Mm. Um, I have with us. Really? He's bringing up books. Uh, Why People Believe Weird Things, Pseudoscience, Superstition, and Other Confusions of Our Time. Mm. I have... This book about me? (laughs) Did you just buy that? No, I've had that a long time. A very long time. By the way, did you take your usual trip to the bookstore today? No. I didn't have time. Um, I have with me... You're supposed to be recruiting sponsors. That's true. Well, I didn't. Do your job. I have... That is not my job. (laughs) I have with me... You had one job! Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Speaking of hyperbole. She had another book? I have... Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, I know the sequel one. to The Fountainhead. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I have with me three books by Michael Lewis, Liar's Poker, Stevenson. Moneyball, and The Big Short. Mm. Wow, I didn't know he wrote all this. He wrote way more, actually. Um, what and, was the first one? Uh, Liar's Poker. His, oh. That's his first book. Mm. Does he know all of his books will eventually become movies? Uh, when he writes them? Yeah. Now, probably. Do you think he thinks about it? No. Now, no. Yeah, he's a journalist. But yeah. at the time at the time, you know, maybe, not really, but like I heard him talking when Moneyball came out. Today. He's fucking awesome. I really? love his book. He is him. so fucking good. Go ahead, you turn talking about. Oh no, yeah, just that like he never even conceived of like how it could become a movie. Like it just didn't make sense. Like it's it's more of like a uh, a manual or a um uh just a journalistic story. It's just good. It's yeah, it's a hard Moneyball? All of them. 
All of them, literally all of them. Oh, I, I didn't. I, I was under the impression that Moneyball didn't like have characters. It, sure, it was it more. Oh, okay, Billy Bean. It's a narrative. I didn't realize. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 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 as I much thought it a was narrative like a textbook. as no. It's as okay. much a narrative as the movie is. Oh, okay. Um, but speaking of of movies that or books that you could never become a movie, I have Freakonomics. It I think that a is movie. a movie. I know. Oh, Jesus! Jesus! <laughs> uh, Wait, who's the dumb person here? You, me, and Sean. The idiot or the argu- the he was with idiot you. that argued so he's with dumb the idiot. Too. He was with me. Mm, he was with me. Check the tape. Where, who were <laughs> you with, Sean? He won't lie. He's too moral. I yeah. Right. Who were you with? Tell me. I, I don't remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> I also have essentials of mathematics. Just a math textbook. Why? A squared plus B squared. How is that literary? Look at everything we have. Look at the table. This is all about math. Yeah, Atlas Shrugged, sure about and math. And economics. It, well, I mean... Fuzzy math. I mean, hey. It's, well, it's, it's technically about objectionism. Or, uh, uh, I object. Objectionism? Right? That's her, that's her whole, like... That's her philosophy, fucking Ayn Rand's. Objectionism would be just... Uh, objectivism. Objectivism. Yeah. Sorry, objectivism. Yeah, yeah. That I would, said it before. That would be free. Anybody looked it up. All right, relax, guys. That's well, what it is. Objectivism. Words matter. We already talked about this. I know, but my I've been t- drinking scotch. Jesus I'm going to drink more. Actually, I want more scotch. Drinky, drinky, literally drinky. literary. The words matter. Anyway, um, as always, anything anything peeking out at you guys in this little uh, economically. Strong and stringent. Well, Freakonomics is a podcast, so I'm going to say take that off the table. I'm going um, to leave it on the table. I just course, won't read it. You contrarian bastard. <laughs> um, That's why you love me. <laughs> you love me for other opinion. reasons. Is that why? Uh, ben Shapiro <laughs> show is also a podcast. So Atlas Shrugged is kind of annoying. Wow. <laughs> That's. I'm perfectly content not reading any Ayn Rand, but we talked about it in the last episode of something. I think it was like South Park. So the, I was like, I wish to talk about the weird things is the only one I've never heard of. Why people believe weird things. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's, I bought it a long time ago. It's also the title of one of my favorite podcasts, but unrelated. Why people believe weird. Th- well, this is no, Michael Shermer. Things. I believe my, I think Michael Shermer wrote this. Yeah. Michael Shermer. So he's like the guy who was the, uh, he was the, um, I think he's editor in chief of Popular Mechanics. Mm. Um, he's he's a skeptic, a well known skeptic. Right on. Um, I thought, but does also he write a scientist. Pop political articles now. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. I was going to say. I think he just interviewed Trump. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Well, did, wasn't he the guy who interviewed Trump in the Time magazine? That does not sound right. No, it, it might be the same name, but that would not. I don't think it's Michael Shermer. No okay. idea. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. We're waiting on you. What do you mean you're waiting on me? You're you want me to read? Book. No. I'm not picking. You guys are picking the book. We're, we're waiting on Joseph Bonnier. I Why do I have made, to pick? Because I made my selection. Okay, we're going with it. Okay. Why people believe weird things? Sure. Ugh, fine. No, yeah, fuck that. Let's go to... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Jesus it's fine. I, I, I really am cool with Wait, it. Wait, what, what else is there? Big Short Moneyball was the other one. We have all the Michael Lewis. What's Liars the other one? Poker. Liars what, Poker, what is Moneyball. That? And Liars Poker is his first book. Is it, it his best? Um, No. No. What's his best? Probably Moneyball. The Big Short's really good, too, though. Um, Liar's Poker is his first book, and it's about his time at uh, Solomon Brothers. Let's read the big short. Um, or not. Shonfa. Ty goes to the runner. Moneyball, you're saying? <laughs> I'm saying we both- I actually bo- really enjoyed that shitty joke. <laughs> That's the set. <laughs> oh, because I made a baseball reference. I thought it was then... a baseball reference. Oh. I don't know why I wanted to read Ayn Rand just to get it over with. Do it. You, you, we, we can't stop you. 
I've never actually read what I wanted to read on this show. I've always succumbed to what you guys do. That's not true. That is a lie. What really? To your Name memory. the episode. Name one episode. <laughs> Joyce. Joyce? Every Joyce. A different episode. story. Different story. Because why? Changing the rules. Number one of them, the very first, the, because, because the very first episode of this entire show, I just was going to read Ulysses. And that was going to be this whole show is just me doing an audiobook of Ulysses. The second time was, was like, Saint, it wasn't St. Patrick's Day. Why did I do it? Why was the second time I, I did it? I have no idea why you do anything. So. But I'm pretty sure I just had it. And I was like, I'm, we're going to just read Ulysses. And I think I told you that. Sounds like something you Going said. into it. But it's not like, you know. We've so you knew you didn't three have a or four times. And the other time you knew you didn't have a choice was The Wasteland. But other than like that, no. There, at no point have I. I feel like there, I distinctly remember many times where I picked, made a choice. Yeah. And I, you've te- teased me. You said, oh, uh, we're doing this. Yeah, oh, I feel, no, no, I feel no, no. like that's it, a running gag because, of the show. It would have because those are like two different things that you guys have said different things mm. about it. But I've never just chosen what okay. I wanted to read. Okay. Feels a little dishonest. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is a uh, we can parallel universe situation. <laughs> we can you're, check the tape. The Berenstain Bears. Yeah, you're we in the snowflake the universe and we're in the uh, We the, can check the, the tape, real universe. I fucking know fucking this shit. I fucking know that shit. There hasn't been tape in 20 years. Check the waves. Right, the waves, man. <laughs> All right, why people believe weird things? Because now you've pigeonholed me into mm-hmm. doing this shit. God damn it! Shame works. Um, ironically, <laughs> this book this book came out. Of, I, I think I got this in college. Um, oh, I asked you on Facebook, but you n- never answered me. Oh, sorry. Aww. So I don't remember so you asking. Me. What'd you ask him out for? Um, uh, just dinner, a little coffee, maybe afterwards, maybe an HJ. Um, an HJ, so, a handjob. Got it. <laughs> uh, so. Got it. Yes. I was watching the movie The Doors recently, and mm. as I yeah, it's not a great movie, but as I am wont to do, I watched it with the subtitles on, and all of the fuck words were taken out of the subtitles. Is this irony? No. Why would that? Wait. Be irony? Say again. What? What's the deal? I'm confused. I, I'm watching the movie The Doors, right? Which is about and directed by two individuals that are very anti-censorship. The movie itself is a very anti-censorship theme. Oh, I see. But the subtitles. Oh, I see what you're were saying. Were censored. I didn't realize. I didn't. I don't describe The Doors as being all about censorship. I just think that was one. I moment. said it was a very anti-censorship. Yeah, but it's, theme. It, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, okay. that's ironic. Yeah, that's ironic. Okay. In that context, no, yeah, I understand. I didn't what you're think saying. about it like okay. You had to explain the anti censorship thing. I didn't understand that. Do you mean yes. just like the light my fire stuff on the uh, the Ed Sullivan show? Was that what you referred well, to? Sure, he, just in general. Yeah, and he got arrested. He was, you know, when. Oh, it was for like. For, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, I mean. I got much higher! Exactly. And I, then didn't, I didn't mean to peek. I just, I really didn't say it that loud. Oliver Stone is traditionally, uh, you know, in that camp as well. Decibels, I didn't ball? say that that loud. Anyway, yes, that was ironic. Yay! I didn't understand what you were saying okay. on Facebook. I Jesus apologize. Christ, I hate everyone. Hey, Sean, why do you think people believe weird things? Um, it's fun. You know, we need our mythology. We need um, uh, escapism. It, well, for those things that science can't explain, or those things that we can't explain in the moment, um, the weird thing is the the fun story, the ghost story. Oh, there it is, Sean. Fa, as always, distilling entire books into well phrased thoughts <laughs> judging the book <laughs> by its cover chapter one <laughs> the boat went down the river <laughs> um to the memory of carl sagan 1934 to 1996 by the way this book was written in 1997 mm. this is the third printing from the year 2000 the year before i graduated high school thank you 
Uh, it's Mary of Carstegen, a colleague and inspiration whose lecture on the burden of skepticism 10 years ago gave me a beacon when I was intellectually and professionally adrift mm, and ultimately beacon. inspired the birth of Skeptic Society, Skeptic Magazine, and this book, as well as my commitment to skepticism and the liberating possibilities of science. I really just don't like the term skeptic. Why not? Yeah, why? Um, it is... Uh, it just has a weird connotation to it. It is uh, automatically... Sounds douchebaggy now. Well, no, it sounds automatically conspiratorial. It, uh, it sounds automatically uh, dismissive or dismissible. I don't think so. I like it. I was taught it in math class, actually. Really? Yeah. Uh, when we learned, like, uh, proofs. You guys have to do, you know, proofs? Like, if, blah, 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 then, you know... Greg proofs? Yes. Well, you know, I, we were taught, like, you should always be skeptical of everything until Aristotelian logic, that is. Proof. Mm. I thought it was interesting. Uh, sure. To learn that in, like, eighth grade math or whatever. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Because I always referred to skeptical as, uh, you know, faith-based stuff or believing in weird shit. But to me, it was like, you should doubt things logically. Yeah. Trust no one until there is proof. Yeah. I think, yeah, there, there is a weird connotation now uh, about skeptics. Um yeah, because I mean, literally you're reading a book about weird things. I'm not sure where, to be honest with you, I don't know where the majority of people fall in that capacity. I, I think that I, I, when I think of a skeptic, I think of a, of a scientific skeptic. I don't think of someone who's a cynic. So I don't think of conspiracy theories, and I don't think, I, I think of scientists. Okay, yeah, maybe it's just the, uh, the circles or the, uh, you know, the pods the I live in, yeah. <laughs> the conspiracy but, guys. Uh, skeptic is often synonymous with, like, climate change denier. For sure, or, no, yeah, you, absolutely. They, like, con conspiracy theorists... Um, consider themselves skeptics. Certainly. And in that capacity, I did meet it in the negative connotation of like, you know, conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, I don't mean, whatever. Yeah, yeah. In the colloquially negative connotation. Totally. Um, yeah, they consider themselves skeptics, but, and, and they are to a degree. The problem yeah, is that they transition into cynicism. Mm -hmm. And that's the big difference. The big difference is between skeptic and being a cynic. A cynic has the narrative in mind that they're trying to fit. A skeptic has no narrative in mind. They are they are eternally curious and they're eternally questioning. I that's that's the difference between the two. Um at least in my mind. Yeah, yeah no, I, I don't feel like that is the the public connotation. I but, don't think it is either. Yeah, yeah but, I think I think they're I think to most people they're the same. Somebody yeah, yeah. who is a skeptic, you know, can also is a climate denier and yeah, yeah. also a, you know, a mathematician. Possibly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, well, I don't think they'd be able to determine the difference in the same way that I was able to right. break it down basically. Yeah. Um People are dumb. I think people are smart. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, then there's another little invocation here, which I'm not going to read. Um, <clears throat> so contents, we have the foreword, we then have the introduction to the paperback edition, then we have a prologue, which is the subtitle of that is, or the, the subheading is next on Oprah. Anyway, then we have <laughs> part one, science and skepticism. Uh, I am, therefore I think, a skeptic's manifesto. Two, the most precious thing we have. Three, how thinking goes wrong. Uh, then I'll just read the parts from here on. Uh, part two is pseudoscience and superstition, and there's like uh, looks like five parts in there. Part three is evolution and creationism, and then there's three parts there. Part four is history and pseudoscience, uh, and there's four spots there, one of which is the... Anyway, whatever. Um, part five is hope springs eternal, which is the conclusion and all that shit. And finally, why do people believe weird things? Um, which I guess we'll probably read at the very end of this. Anyway. Uh, you guys want to flip what, through? Take what a look. Was part three. Go ahead. 
Sean Fah is now looking at some of these words as what's uh, going on, flipping through the table of contents. This might be the first time you've ever he's ever held a book, actually. Between <laughs> in my life, <laughs> well, yeah, I meant that. I meant that in both degrees. Uh, you do look very unnatural holding that thing. Oh yeah. Uh, also, I do need glasses, so like I refuse. Joey, would do you do that. me a favor while this is happening? Um, no. Okay, never mind then. Wow. Go, what do you mean to give you more drink, please? This is McCallan. Um, wow. I would. <laughs> I would like you to start with subse- with uh, ch- or section two, but at some point I would like to get to subsection seven. <laughs> start with subsection two of part two? Uh, start with part two. Just, I don't care where, but at some point I would like that to include subsection seven. Okay. Uh, Joe is going to... Perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Article three thank of you, the Manifesto of Skeptic Victory. I feel like we should start at least with like one, though. Jeez, I am this where I think. Uh, you know what? You yeah. asked. Okay, you asked, and this is your book. So anywhere in part two, you want me to go? Yeah. Okay. So we have. Choice. So then, so then now, in this case, Joey, we have uh, deviations, which is the normal, the paranormal, and Edgar Casey. I like the standard. What? Standard deviations. Oh, got it. Thank uh, you. We then have um, through the invisible, which is near death experiences and the mm. quest for immortality. Okay. We have abducted encounters with aliens. We have epidemics of accusations, uh, medieval and modern witch crazes. And then uh, the unlikeliest cult, I like which is Ayn Rand objectivism and the cult wow. of personality. That's crazy. Okay, we really have to read that. I was going to say the other one, but... Uh, well, the other so. one was number seven, which is the one I insisted upon. So we will get to it. Oh, okay. The the uh, medieval and modern witch crazes? Yeah, I like the witch stuff. Uh, the, uh, yeah, there was a... What was the topic of that one? Uh, medieval and modern... Uh, epidemics no. and accusations. Yeah. yeah, epidemics and accusations. Okay. I guess I should have brought uh, the Crucible with me. For you accusatory bastards. Joey, who wrote the Crucible? Arthur... Sir Conan Doyle? Miller? Nice. What was it, was it about? Soviet Union? What was it about? No, I'm sorry. Yes, McCarthyism. Oh, it was McCarthyism? Yeah, it was, a, it was a metaphor for McCarthyism, but it was obviously about the Salem Witch Trials. I never read it. What else did Arthur Miller do? Death of a Salesman is probably his oh, most famous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also fucked Marilyn Monroe. That's really crazy because he's an ugly man, right? I mean, you know, he's Arthur Miller. Is that on his IMDb? Pretty, he's so famous for that. Like, I, I knew that. I don't know shit about Arthur Miller. <laughs> well. He was married to her. I don't know why I made it so crass. And it's Norma Jean, you sexist pigs. She's the one that changed it. Subsection 7, epi- Epidemics of so Accusations. Cassius, I'm going to call him Cassius. Medieval and Modern Witch Crazes. Okay. In the small town of Mattoon, Illinois... A woman says that a stranger entered her bedroom late at night on Thursday, August 31st, 1944. You know, that is one thing I should mention. Uh, possibly part of my conspiracy and alien leanings is there is a lot in Illinois. Um, there is oh, the, interesting. Uh, the museum of, I want to say, Weird alien things. encounters or alien abduction museum or something, which was close to my hometown. That's wild. Uh, featured in the uh, X-Files movie. Do you think there's, a, there's an Illinois conspiracy? Um, no, it's just a lot of farmland and people, you know, have nothing better to do. I don't realize how big Illinois is. It's exactly, huge. Because yeah. I mean, we just think of Chicago, but yeah. it's really just... It's Chicago's like huge. in the fucking corner. Well, yeah, Chicago is a little dot surrounded by corn. Correct. Hmm. Uh, on August 31st, 1944... Um, some of those farmers are paid to not farm that corn. <laughs> and anesthetized <laughs> her legs with spray gas. There were no rules! <laughs> Did you guys hear what happened? Nope. 
Jesus Christ. This is the first sentence. Yeah, you know. It's called ADD. <laughs> in a small town of Mattoon, Illinois, a woman says that a stranger entered her bedroom late at night on Thursday, August 31st, 1944, and anesthetized her legs with spray gas. <laughs> she reported the incident the, the incident the next day, claiming she was temporarily paralyzed. The Sunday Sleep edition, paralysis is a thing. The Sunday edition of the Mattoon Daily Journal-Gazette ran the headline... Anesthetic prowler on loose. Sean, does that yeah. annoy you? On Headline. loose? <coughs> no, the, the clickbait. Oh, without a doubt. But in 1960, that would have just 1944. been same difference. Yellow journalism. Can't go nuclear. In the days to come, Jesus several Christ. other cases were reported. The newspaper covered these incidents under the headline, Mad Anesthesia Strikes Again. The <laughs> perpetrator became known as the Phantom Gasser of Mattoon. <laughs> Soon, cases were occurring all over Mattoon. The state police were brought in. Husbands stood guard with loaded guns, and many first-hand sightings were recounted. Hide your daughters, hide your wives. In the course of 13 days, a total of 25 cases were reported. <laughs> After a fortnight, however, no one was caught. No chemical clues were discovered. The police Two spoke weeks. of wild imaginations, and the newspapers I began to, to characterize the story as a case of mass hysteria. <laughs> C. Johnson, 1945. W. Smith, 1944. When have we heard of all this before? Or when have we heard all this before? If this story sounds familiar, it might be because it has the same components of alien abduction experience, only the paralysis is the work of mad anesthesias rather than aliens. Strange things going bump in the night, interpreted in the context of time and culture of the victims, whipped into a phenomenon through rumor and gossip. Phenomenon. We are talking about modern versions of medieval witch crazes. Most people do not believe in witches anymore, and today no one is burned at the stake. Um, yet, She's a witch. She floats. The components, is that true? The components of early witch yeah. crazes are still alive in their many modern pseudoscientific disc, uh, discants. Uh, I'm sorry, in, descendants. Jesus. What? Apparently in Africa, it's yeah, still like still a, Africa. yeah, there's a, a, a kind of a big thing of like people still getting possessed. And like, uh, um, apparently there are lots of reports uh, from uh, uh, from the show Weird Things, one of my favorites, but they uh, they used to cover all of the goblin attacks. So there are multiple reports of goblins doing uh, lots of random things to uh, to African villagers, and a lot of it ended up having to do, or a lot of those reports were having to do with like uh, sexual crimes, and it just basically turned, it kind of ended up that they found out after doing all of these goblin reports that really when people are talking about goblins, they're talking about like uh, basically date rape drugs. So, like, all of these things that are kind of classified as goblin attacks are basically just local villagers fucking, you know, Bill Cosbying people. Do you guys want to hear the components of witch crazes? Sure. So, number one, victims tend to be women, the poor, the retarded, and others on the margins of society. Yep. Two, sex or sexual abuse is typically involved. Wow. Three. Call it with the Cosby. Mere accusation of potential perpetrators makes them guilty. Four, denial of, guilt, denial of guilt is regarded as further proof of guilt. <laughs> Five, once a claim of victimization becomes well-known in a community, other similar claims suddenly appear. Six, Poor the Cosby. movement hits critical peak of accusation when virtually everyone is a potential suspect and almost no one is above suspicion. Seven, the pendulum swings the other way. 
as the innocents begin as the innocents begin to fight back against their accusers their accusers <laughs> through legal and other means the accusers sometimes become the accused and skeptics begin to demonstrate the falsity of the accusations i am the accused 8 finally the movement fades the public loses interest and proponents while never completely disappearing are shifted to the margins of belief so it went for the modern witch crazes. So it will likely go. So, sorry. <laughs> I know. And so it went for the modern witch crazes. I know. I was so like, likely... I know. I know. So it will likely go for, Do for I have modern to give witch you a crazes, goddamn line reading for everything. Such as the satanic panic of the 1980s and the recovered memory movement of the 1990s. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to motivate you. So think about a time when you were reading a book and you actually enjoyed it. <laughs> It is really possible. Is that what a good director does? It is, yes. It's exactly <laughs> what it is these days. It is, <laughs> is, it, is it really possible that thousands of satanic cults have secretly infiltrated our society and that their members are torturing, mutilating, and sexually abusing tens of thousands of children and animals? No. Is it really possible that millions of adult women were sexually abused as children but have repressed all memory of their abuse? No. Like the alien abduction phenomenon, these are products of the mind not reality. They are social follies and mental fantasies driven by a curious phenomenon called the feedback loop. Yay. Uh, a witch craze feedback loop. Mm-hmm. So he goes on to explain it in a sense, but finally there's a, there's a, um, a large, you know, kind of diagram that wheel. explains, yeah, the feedback loop wheel, basically. Um, the circle of feedback. feedback. It's called figure 10, the witch craze feedback loop. Um, I'm not really sure how to describe this, and thus I won't try. You're just going to have to buy the book, I guess. I like, I like his, uh, he's very flowery, but honestly, he's kind of saying pretty obvious things. He's just like, bullshit, 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 bullshit. Well, that's the, the head of it. I'm sure he goes into, like, it seems he no, goes no, into it, crazy detail about everything, yeah. He, but I like his flowery language. He said, like, shifted to the margins of uh, memory. No, shifted to the margins of belief. It was something really nice. Sure. Oh, that was really pretty. How you doing, Shad? Do you mean to keep going on this one? Um, you do your choice. I'd he like doesn't to do, do that. I'd like to do more. I'm I'm f- still flipping through the same chapter. Um, it, there's a lot of graphs though, as you yeah. can see, to kind of like break down what it is. It's hard to describe. Like it's, it's a fucking complex thing. <laughs> wow. it's fucking crazy. It's like it you know, really it's crazy. like lines going. It's like how the fuck am I going to describe this on a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Um. So it's just intense. This is page 104 for you guys who have the book. <laughs> for those following along at <laughs> those home. Those following along at home with Michael Shermer's 2000 <laughs> um, Satanic Panic with Craze. I guess I'll just kind of read the, the – I'm sure there's some sort of conclusion in this. So let's break that down. Uh, well, what was the last um, – I believe it was subsection 8. What was uh, – The Ayn Rand thing? Yeah, yeah. Joey won. The Unlikeliest Cult? Please. Well, we will do that, but I want to break down. I want to okay. try to find some conclusion of the epidemics of accusation. All right. Um, you fucking completionist. I mean, hey, that's you know, I, I we can't. I'm not, I don't, I'm not just a guy with four, so many books. I don't just do foreplay. I mean, give me a break here. Uh, um, come on, that tits and go go. Yeah, you're wasting your time. Waste with what? Sorry. What? You can't get a girl to come. You're saying? Well, I mean, she'd have to be there. So, no. <laughs> but... what, what, what was it like? Private parts? These guys go like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Is your mic, your mic doesn't have enough bass, mine does. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. 
the windscreen prevents you from getting your proximity on. I, I can go around it. There I you can go. go. Get real that, close. That's that's your base. Literally. Jesus Christ. That's because I'm clipping. This is fucked up. Sorry, kids. The troubling aspect no of this particular slipping. craze and no sexual TBC's abuse. beating us. TBC's beating uh, literally literary? You, you, yeah. So it's the second most popular on the show? Mm-hmm. It's oh, kind of a seesaw. It's a seesaw. Good for Wheeler. Yeah. Does he feel... Uh, that probably bothers it him It fills him bit, with though. angst and hatred. He doesn't like it. Oh, that's weird. That's why I keep telling him. I sort of like it even more, then. Um... <laughs> Let them have the glory. Anyway, there's no context well, to South really Park close it out. So let's just go to the unlikeliest cult. Ayn Rand, objectivism, <laughs> and the cult of personality. Everyone knows it's Butters. Um, so it's him. That would be the unlikeliest cult. According ah. to psychoanalysts, projection is the process of attributing one's own ideas, feelings, or attitudes to other people or objects. What is that? The the what, what, projection. What, projection. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the guilt-laden adulterer accuses his spouse of adultery. The homophobe actually harbors latent homosexual tendencies. Did I skip something? Okay, we're good. Um, a subtle form of projection you is only at did work. Two, not three. A subtle form of projection is at work when fundamentalists make the accusation that secular humanism and evolution are quote religions, or announce that skeptics are themselves a cult and that reason and science have cultic pro- uh, properties, a claim that sounds absurd given that a cult, by definition, is by definition 180 degrees out of phase with reason. And it should be obvious to the reader by now that I am strongly pro-science and pro-reason. A recent historical phenomenon has convinced me that su- the seductiveness of facts, theory, evidence, and logic may mask some flaws in the system. The phenomenon provides a lesson about what happens when truth becomes more important than the search for truth, when the final results of inquiry become more important than the process of inquiry, when reason leads to so absolute a certainty about one's belief that anyone who is not for them is anathematized and against them. And so... It's pronounced again. (laughs) <laughs> and, and when suppo- I was very proud of that. Uh, and when supposedly intellectual inquiry becomes the basis of a personality cult. The story begins in the United States in 1943, when an obscure Russian immigrant published her first successful novel after two consecutive failures. It was not an instant success. In fact, the reviews were harsh and initial sales sluggish, but slowly a following grew around the novel, not because it was well-written, which it wasn't, but because of the power of the ideas. Word of mouth became its most effective marketing tool, and the author began to develop a large following. The initial print run of 7,500 copies was followed by print runs in multiples of 5,000 and 10,000 until, by 1950, a half million copies were circulating in the country. The book was The Fountainhead, and the author was Ayn Rand, her commercial success allowed her the time and freedom to write her magnum opus. Atlas shrugged. Is a half a million books a lot? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What year was that? Uh, 1943? Shit. I'm going to look it up. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, in 1950, a half million copies were yeah, circulating right. in the country. 43 Fountainhead. Yeah. I'm not right. It said it. Oh, sorry. I, I, I didn't hear it. <laughs> it's okay. Um, anyway. What? I don't listen very well. <laughs> her commercial success of The Fountainhead, by the way, uh, allowed her the time and freedom to write her magnum opus, Atlas Shrugged, published in 1957. Atlas Shrugged is a murder mystery about the murderer, not of a human body, but of the human spirit. It is a sweeping story of a man who said he would stop the ideological motor of the world, 
When he did, there was a panoramic collapse of civilization, but its flame was kept burning by a handful of heroic individuals whose reason and morals directed both the collapse and the subsequent return of culture. As with the Fountainhead, reviewers panned Atlas Shrugged with a, with a uh, sarcastic brutality that only seemed to reinforce Fowler's belief of the book in its author and her ideas. And, also like the Fountainhead, sales of Atlas Shrugged have sputtered and clawed, for, clawed forward to the point where the book has regularly sold over 300,000 copies a year. Quote, In all my years of publishing, and quote recalled Random House's head Bennett Cerf, quote, I've never seen anything like it. To break through against such enormous opposition, end quote, uh, such is the power of an individual hero and a cult-like following. What is it about Rand's philosophy as presented in these novels that so emotionally stimulates proponents and opponents alike? At a sales conference at Random House before Atlas Shrugged was published, a salesman asked, asked Rand if she could summarize the essence of her philosophy called objectivism while standing on one foot. She did so as follows. One, metaphysics, objective reality. Two, epistemology, reason. Three, ethics, self-interest. Four, politics, capitalism. In other words... What is metaphysics? Metaphysics is uh, what is, the study of what is in philosophy. So, um, yeah, so metaphysics in philosophy is the study of what is. So, is there a God? Uh, are you you? Is there truth? Is there such a thing as justice? That is metaphysics. Okay, so I... Uh... I think this was Newton's definition or the way that Newton classified was physics is physical science and metaphysics would be basically all studies that aren't. No, 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 no. So okay. there's, that's the whole idea of like pseudoscience where okay. like, like people talk about metaphysics is like, yeah, oh, yeah. metaphysics, it's almost like, like ESP, physics is not. Right. Like, yeah. That is not metaphysics. In philosophy, metaphysics is the study of what is. Is that the same usage she is using? That's the same usage that she's using. Ayn Rand is talking about, yeah. Sorry. She's, she's, yeah, it, it, in philosophy, it, it, it is the study of what is. Okay. That's what metaphysics is. Uh, epistemology is the study of how, how one knows what is. Mm. So how do you know that there is such a thing as truth, right? Tr like, is there truth? That gotcha. would be a metaphysical question. Um, how do you know that there is truth is the meta, is the epistemological question. Okay. Uh, then the, the next level of that would be ethics. Um, which, of course, is, you know, morality. Is there such a thing as good, bad, is, or not? Mm. Um, and the ethics that... So, again, so now, as far as... So, this is her breaking down objectivism, Ayn Rand's... And keep in mind, there is, there is a large question at hand in the, philosoph in the philosophy community as to whether or not Ayn Rand is a philosopher at all. Most serious philosophers say no, because basically what she does is she kind of asserts it, begs the question circumnavigates all the hard questions of how to prove the things that she's claiming gotcha. just to assert once again begging the question of what she claimed in the first place um fucking women <laughs> hmm. um i mean but, okay thanks it, it seems like she's yeah, clearly not the first person to think of laissez-faire economics right it was adam smith adam smith did the hard work did the fucking actual legit work of like breaking down the history of economics and all mm. that stuff I mean, he's the father of economics. Yeah, I mean, let's say fair, fair the, the invisible hand was, as far as I know, all attributed to him. He broke it down. Uh, yeah, he okay. didn't say that there was, a, he didn't assert yeah, yeah. it as a philosophy. Uh, the, the term invisible hand literally comes from him, I believe. By the way, if I did stop at the Iliad on the way here, 
I would have brought Adam Smith because that's all I had here. Mm. I assumed you had some, but I didn't look. Uh, I might. Yeah, I the think only you reason might I too. think laissez-faire the term is in Adam Smith because it's French. This guy named Smith can't use French words. He's British. I once knew a, a man with a wooden leg named Smith. Actually, that start, sounded nobody. Like... I once knew a man with a wooden leg named Smith. That sounded like the beginning of a limerick. You're supposed to say, "What's the name of his other leg?" Anyway, <laughs> so, how wooden was it? <laughs> That's what I was guessing. Um, before, before I move on, though, um, so again, objectivism, the way she broke it down is the metaphysics. So what, what Rand claims is that what is, is objective reality, okay? So everything that we see, that's what is. That's her assertion. What it is. Right. Which, but, how, but that's a whole philosophical question. Well, okay, <laughs> I mean, like... Are you certain that that's how? Um, so this well, she's outside of the matrix, or if that's can... a philosophical question. There is a solipsistic so legitimacy right, to that. In, yeah. in order, but she just asserts that no, it's true. Fuck it. Like there's no, like all of Plato, all of Plato's questions she's of metaphysics. Not a philosopher. Uh, that's clear. Well, but, that that's. But she, asserts, we, but she claims that she is. That's the thing. We also have to, you know, agree that the world actually exists no, in no, order no, no, for no, us no. to have. That's not true. Discussion. That's not true at all. So is, if we are gonna, if we are gonna try to move on past past hard solipsism, you're right. We do have to sort of agree that we share a reality in some capacity. If we're gonna fix the world, we have to agree that the world exists. Um. We at least should in, in the course sure, of which is, progressing which, the discussion. Which is fine, but it's but you know, but she doesn't move to, to to prove or even claim that. Like you've done you essentially have taken more steps than Ayn Rand ever did. Just right there. Go ahead, Joey. I don't remember what I was saying. Okay. But I um, just don't think she's a philosopher. She's I I was trying to think She about, thinks she is. She claims that she is. Well, that she's using projection. Hi -oh. That's good. That's very good. Um <laughs> anyway, um, her epistemology, as far as how she knows that what is is just objective reality. By the way, she just says that objective reality. So she's not claiming that that's all that it is. It's just she says that that's what is. So let's just move on. Then what she then what she does is she claims that uh, how she knows that what there is is objective reality is reason. She uses reason. That's what it is. You just she reasons that objective reality that is, is like everyone. Right. That's what I mean. It's this is like this is like the back of a cereal box philosophy, basically. Um, and then the, okay. so the ethics that she claims is self interest. That's 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 the, her philosophical standpoint of ethics is self interest. Okay. So she's definitely not an artist, right, John? <laughs> no, she would be. Um, I'm talking to other Sean. She's definitely an artist. Not an artist. If her ethic is self interest. Yeah. She's not a trust. Oh, I thought you can't be an artist and, and make money off it. Right. You, well, that was the, the, the thing. The fighting continue line. to be, yeah. Yeah, she, okay. uh, she, can be a she can't be a trust, but she can be an artist. And just not sell the shit? No, an artist can sell shit. Yeah. A trust is no, the I purest form I thought you were saying all art. artists can't. My bad. Right, right. That That's is, what he was, but then that, we, we landed on trust. Yeah, like that is his, still my yeah. connotation or my, yeah. my assertion, but in order to appease you gentlemen, we have adopted a new word, which right. is trust. Mm, okay, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, which, I'm, which I'm totally content with and very appeased. <laughs> uh, for the politics, of course, is capitalism, kids. Capitalism. That's all there is and all there ever will be. So, as Shermer continues... In other words, Shermer's March. reality exists independent of human thought. Reason, 
is the only viable method for understanding reality. Every human should seek personal happiness and exist for his own sake. And no one should sacrifice himself, uh, himself for or to be sacrificed by others. And laissez-faire capitalism is the political economic system in which the first three flourish best. This Go ahead, Johnny. I, I don't agree with that third assertion. Okay, Dr. Rand. Yeah. <laughs> Take it up with us. <laughs> this combination, I said Rand, this combination, said Rand, allows people to deal with one another, not as victims and executioners, nor as masters and slaves, but as traitors by free, voluntary exchange to mutual benefit. This is not to say, however, that anything goes. In these free exchanges, no man may initiate the use of physical force against others. Uh, that's Rand, 1962, page one. Um, <laughs> there's like, you know, end notes at yeah. the end of the book. Uh, ringing through Rand's works is the philosophy of individualism, personal responsibility, the power of reason, and the importance of morality. One should think for oneself and never allow any authority to dictate truth, especially the authority of government, reason, and other such groups. Those who use reason to act in the highest moral fashion and who never demand favors or handouts are much more likely to find success and happiness than the irrational and unreasonable. Objectivism is the ultimate philosophy of unsullied reason and unadulterated individualism, as expressed by Rand through the primary character in Atlas Shrugs, John Galt. What's his name? John what? John Galt. Galt. Uh, then there's a long, there's the, the quote from the book itself, which I'll read. Yeah. So this is John Galt. Um, toward the, so basically, Atlas Shrugged, while well, I have it right here, which is very fitting, and I'll probably read the opening. We'll just do this like a double parter. I'll tell you a little bit. There's a little invocation in this book. It's fun. My uncle gave me this book. Wow. On my 17th birthday. Vote Republican, Sean. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you we know were, what's good for us. We were golfing one morning. Does it just say plastics in bold? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, no, we were golfing one morning, and then he goes to me. I think I told you guys this story. He this says, is the like, whitest thing I've this ever is, heard. This is the toothpick hmm. story, remember? <laughs> no, I don't remember. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning. We, we were at the beach, and we, the, you know, it was like first mm-hmm. come, first go out, whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, you were. I hadn't slept at all. Okay. We we drove out to the golf course. We were at LBI. And the fuckers golf at four in the morning? Well, like I just said, you had to get out there early. So I, I hadn't slept. So it was like, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. A normal man. And just... we're sitting there on the putting green. And it was maybe, I don't know, like 445, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we, it was a long drive to the course anyway mm-hmm. from the beach. Um, anyway, he goes, uh, Sean, let me ask you a question. Oh. Let's say you work in a toothpick factory, <laughs> right? Sorry. And you make... You make... Uh, 10 toothpicks. Mm. The guy next to you only makes five. Right? But at the end of the day, the foreman comes over and says, okay, how many, how'd you guys do? So, well, we made 15 toothpicks. And he goes, okay, cool. So together you guys made 15 toothpicks. And he goes and he counts them up and he breaks them down. And he says, so effectively, you made seven and a half, you made seven and a half. There you go. There's your money. Now, is that fair? I was like, no, that's not fair fucking fair what do you mean <laughs> what are you talking about no he goes well that's the difference between communism and capitalism that's it that was bi- that was my education of that <laughs> um, and then he handed you that book and then probably a year later he mm. yeah he gave me this book for for my birthday um and i've tried to read it it's just 
so shamelessly fucking. I'll I'll read you the opening soon. Oh, but let me the I'll tell br- us how you really I'll break feel. you down the philosophy of it. Break it down. Um. So as expressed by John Galt later on at the very end of this book, that's like for literally a hundred pages, maybe more actually. The main character, John, not the main character. It's like a. It's almost an absent character. John Galt. Everybody's like looking for this mm. great politician. He oh. gives this long speech at the end. This just very long philosophical tirade. Um. And this I I imagine is part of it. Good. Oh, I think our movie? food's here. We're not going to get to it. I think so. There was. Yeah, it's a two-parter. I didn't see I it. Uh, so, here's how it goes. Men cannot survive except by gaining knowledge, and reason is his only means to gain it. Reason is the faculty that perceives, identifies, and integrates the material provided by his senses. The task of his senses is to give him the evidence of existence, but the task of identifying it belongs to his reason. His senses tell him only that something is, but what it is must be learned by his mind. In the name of the best within you, do not sacrifice this world to those who are its worst. In the name of the values that keep you alive, do not let your visions of man be distorted by the ugly, the cowardly, the mindless, and those who have never achieved its title. Do not lose your knowledge that man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransient uh, an intransient mind and a step that travels unlimited roads. Do not let your fire go out, spark by irreplaceable spark, in the hopeless swamps of the approximate, the not quite, the not yet, the not at all. Do not let the hero in your soul perish in lonely frustration for your, for the life you deserved, but have never been able to reach. Check your road and the nature of your battle. The world you desired can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. In other words, you better work, bitch. So I'll read the opening of... That's basically the breakdown. Literally, it's just the breakdown. Like, be awesome and awesome things will come. <laughs> like fucking Atlas Shrugs. The secret. <laughs> oh, the secret is think awesome and awesome things will come. Exactly. So I will now break off of... Why people believe weird things, and I will pick up. What's wrong with being awesome? Atlas shrugged, the book. So yeah, like I said, I explained this book. So let me open it. When I fucking first read this, <laughs> I just explained it for a whole fucking chapter. I really tried to read this book. I was like, you know what? Let me just fucking blast through it one week. And and it's a big ass motherfucking book. It's what a thousand seventy three pages ish, maybe a little more. Um, I, I I started reading it, and I really honestly was gonna go for it, but. I just was just so turned off by the beginning. Um, Because if we break down the basic kind of capitalistic philosophical mindset, right? At its core, it's sort of just distasteful because of it. It it appears to have no real compassion whatsoever. You know, if if really the ethics boil down to self-interest, which is there's nothing wrong ultimately with with placing more value on self-interest than not. I'm I'm content with that. The problem is that it's it's just distasteful to me when there appears to be no compassion. Um, and so with that in mind, I'll start the book and sort of why. Anyway, part one is called non-contradiction. So chapter one, the theme, very famous opening line is of course. Who is John Galt? 
The light was ebbing, and Eddie Willers could not distinguish the, brum, the bum's face. The bum had said it simply, without expression, but from the sunset at the far end of the street, yellow glints caught his eyes, and the eyes looked straight at Ellie Willers, mocking and still, as if the question had been addressed to the causeless uneasiness within him. Why did you say that? asked Eddie Willers, his voice tense. The bum leaned against the side of the doorway. A wedge of broken glass between him reflected the metal yellow of the sky. Quite right, Slick. Why? Why does it bother you? he asked. It doesn't, snapped Eddie Willers. He reached hastily into his pocket. The bum had stopped him and asked for a dime, then had gone on talking, as if to kill that moment and postpone the problem of the next. Pleas for dimes were so frequent in the streets these days that it was not necessary to listen to explanations, and he had no desire to hear the details of this bum's particular despair. Go get your cup of coffee, he said, handing the dime to the shadow that had no face. Thank you, sir, said the voice without interest, and the face leaned forward for a moment. The face was wind-browned, cut by lines of weariness and cynical resignation. The eyes were intelligent. Eddie Willers walked on, wondering why he always felt it at this time of day, the sense of dread without reason. No, he thought. Not dread. There's nothing to fear, just an immense, diffused apprehension with no source or object. He had become accustomed to the feeling, but he could find no explanation for it. Yet the bum had spoken as if he knew that Eddie felt it. As if he thought that one should feel it, and more as if he knew the reason. Eddie Willers pulled his shoulders straight in conscientious self-discipline. He had to stop this, he thought. He was beginning to imagine things. Had he always felt it? He was 32 years old. He tried to think back. No, he hadn't. But he could not remember when it had started. The feeling came to him suddenly at random intervals, and now it was coming more than ever. It's the twilight, he thought. I hate the twilight. What do you think of the opening chapter there? Poor people are gross. Poor people are so fucking gross. Like, this bomb was there, and I just, like, I don't know. At least he gave him the dime. I wouldn't have. He gave him the dime, but he seemed so... But, like, that's the, that's the, that's the catch that the book gets you. You know what I mean? They're, like... Like, he's the, yeah. the bum is so cunning. He's so cunning that he can, like, Eddie Willers, he was, he was able to kind of or that basically steal it and con our, our protagonist out of his dime. Yeah, it's like saying, really? look how nice yeah. our protagonist is. He's even giving a dime to this horrible bumper. Yeah, that's, I saw a Save a the Cat bit. moment. They I didn't both work. See, they, both work. What, yeah, they both work. Maybe I just zoned out, but what did the fucking, the bum do to elicit that other than being a bum asking for a dime? Um, what do you mean, to con him out of it? yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's more just in the description. It's in the subtleties of it, right? So first off, it's just, who is John Galt? So it starts with this kind of mysterious element of it, mm -hmm. which, of course, there's going to be probably something that relates to that later. Like, you're pulling at the guy's heartstrings. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to know who's John Galt, so, again, you connect with him. Mm -hmm. um, why did you say that, said Eddie, his voice tense. The bum leaned against the side of the doorway. Oh, by the way, uh, the bum said it simply, without expression, but from the sunset at the far end of the street, yellow glints caught his eyes. And his eyes looked straight at Eddie Willers, mocking and still, as if the question had been addressed to the causeless uneasiness within him. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Not that really. kind of like, you know, the, the sort of witchcraft, the sort of like, 
you know, his, yeah. his yellow eyes kind of hypnotized him. Who is John Galt? He anyway. gypsied me. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Well done, actually. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Go get your cup of coffee, blah, blah, blah. It's, yeah, whatever. Mediocre. But it's just, it's just like a stupid... Ah, uh, sorry, I only read a paragraph of this. I can't really... Yeah, I, like... It, no, I agree, though. It's it, but My biggest problem was that it... will go ahead, Sean. Oh, no, I just don't think it was enough to, like, turn you off to a book. Oh, no, what turned me off is that the symbolism of everything that happened here was just so fucking, like... Oh, okay. Transparent. Yeah, it was heavy handed. It was so heavy handed. Yeah. It wasn't even that interesting. It was just, Why you know I hate what I mean? Wall. The what? Why I hate the wall. The wall? Mm hmm. That movie. All in all. Just oh. another brick. It is symbolism for dummies. It's because it Roger is. Waters was, was taking you know power what, over though? Gilmore. I don't know if that's that. Okay, so this is kind of interesting. <laughs> this is kind of an interesting. I don't know why mm. we're going to talk about this, but I, we should anyway. Well, okay, well, it's, it's not that unsubtle. I mean, it, it is pretty layered. The wall has many, many. The wall itself has so many different, you know, symbolic elements. Maybe I'm just giant always... walking flower vaginas. Like, I mean, it's just the, no, everything sure. is just there's so a lot of overt. Stuff like, there's a lot of stuff that's very overt, sure. But it, but it, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker for the idea of like, I mean, you know, where, the... where does where does the character end and where does the person begin? I'm always so fascinated by that, and that's I I don't get the that literally is what the wall represents. The wall represents that, the difference between Pink and, and Roger Waters, the difference between okay. the audience and the, the, the audience and the performer, the audience between the performance and the performer. There's, I think, a lot of stuff, isn't there? You're there right. is, yeah. I think you're right. It's like a yes and, right? It, yeah, isn't, isn't 100%. Also like a bunch of other... Yeah, I, I oh, was... Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, there's a whole political element of the yeah, wall as well. Yeah, I always thought it was way more political than... Uh, oh, yeah, there's that too, for sure. But I mean, Josie that's... and bitch applying your well, fucking... No, but that's yeah. that's Pink's whole issue in, in the story of the wall. It's, that's I, his I, problem I as far as who am, just... it, with the soldier <laughs> or the person, the, the, artist or the, the artist or the man. I mean, I, I admittedly haven't sat down and studied the wall, but oh, yeah. uh, I... Am... I guess I haven't really either. <laughs> Obviously, you have. I really you don't have, have to. No, I just listen want. to you, it. You have a uh, a well developed opinion more so than my uh, oh, connotation yeah. of walking flower vaginas. I just think that it's funny. <laughs> Your analysis isn't, isn't incorrect. I mean, there it's are just funny what you guys flowers. you guys are just playing it like exactly it's also redundant. Like a flower is a vagina, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's just, but we were you were always uh, you know you're gonna think of the, how someone is a character, and you're gonna think of like you know the most baggery symbolic like <laughs> in your face, thing in your face, you know. Sure, it's fair. Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, yeah that's Alice Shrugged. I, I guess I can keep brand. going. Do you mean to like keep reading? This is a thousand pages. Do you mean really. to pick something random and pick something fun? See if it's any good midway through. Do you mean to go back to I'd weird things? I'd rather go back to the I want to go back to weird things too. Yeah, yeah Sean <laughs> I'm with uh, you, brother. Something that's not Ayn Rand. How could such a highly do you want me to keep going with the philosophy of Ayn Rand? I mean, that's I sort of, something yeah. that's not Ayn Rand. How could such a highly individualistic I, I philosophy? I literally said the opposite of what you're doing, but okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would prefer to not talk about Ayn Rand anymore. Any page would be. Why don't we do the preferable. last one? The paragraph. Oh yeah, that yes. was the, the chapter. Yeah. Mister Boner, you are correct, sir. Captain Planet, he's our hero. So finally, why do people believe weird things? Zero. Ah. Almost made it. I'll give it a B plus. Yeah. In the evening of Thursday. May 16th, 1996. I walked across burning coals barefoot for an episode of the PBS show, Bill Nye, the Science Guy. B -b 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 Bill Nye. <laughs> the producers of this splendid science education series geared toward children wanted to do a segment on pseudoscience and the paranormal. 
and they thought a scientific explanation for firewalking might make for dramatic television. Since Bill Nye is my daughter's hero, I agreed to host the firewalk. Bernard Lakend, a plasma physicist and one of the world's leading experts on firewalking, got the fire going, spread out the coals, and strolled across, sans shoes, socks, or blisters. As I made my way to the edge of the coals, Lakend reminded me that the temperature in the middle of the raked-out path was about 800 degrees Fahrenheit. I tried to focus on his assurance that this was not a matter of power of positive thinking, but of physics. When you bake a cake in an oven, by way of analogy, the air, the cake, and the metal pan are all at 400 degrees Fahrenheit, but only the pan will burn your skin. Hot coals, even at 800 degrees Fahrenheit, are like cake. They do not conduct heat very quickly, so as long as I strode across the bed without delay, I should be safe. I get my naked toes inched away from the glowing red coals. We're skeptical, sorry. My naked toes inched mm-hmm. away from the glowing red coals were skeptical? Okay. You can have skeptical toes. Yeah, I know. This was no cakewalk, they told my brain. It wasn't. But six feet and three seconds later, they were none the worse for wear. A cakewalk is not walking My confidence cake. in science was restored right down to my toes. You just get to eat cake as you walk. Fire walking. Do you not know? It's musical chairs and the winner gets a cake. Oh. Fire walking. Sounds good. What a weird thing to do. I have filing cabinets and bookshelves filled with records of such weird things, but what constitutes a weird thing? I have no formal definition. Weird things are like pornography. Difficult to define, but obvious when you see them. Each claim, case, or person must be examined individually. One person's weird thing might be another's cherished belief. (laughs) Who's to say? Well, one criteria. The criteria of choice for me and millions of others is science. What, we ask, is the scientific evidence for a claim? Infomercial megastar Tony Robbins, the self-help guru who got his start in the early 1980s by holding weekend seminars climaxing in a firewalk, queries his audience, What would happen if you were to discover a way to achieve any goal you desire now? If you can walk on hot coals, says Robbins, you can accomplish anything. Can Tony Robbins really walk barefoot over hot coals without burning his feet? Sure he can. So can I. So can you. But you and I can do it without meditating, chanting, or paying hundreds of dollars for seminar because firewalking has nothing to do with mental power. (laughs) Belief that it does is what I would call a weird thing. Firewalkers, psychics, UFOologists, alien... Ufologists. I know, ufologists. The UFO are in capitals. Anyway. (laughs) Ufologists. Alien abductees. Cryos... uh, Cryonicists? Cryonicists. Immoralists, objectivists, creationists, Holocaust deniers, extreme Afrocentrists, racial theorists, and cosmologists who believe science proves God. We've met a lot of people who believe a lot of weird things. And I can assure you, after two decades of tracking such people and beliefs, that I've only scratched the surface in this book. What are we to make of these? There's a bullet point. Whole Life Expo workshops on such topics as electromagnetic ghost busting, <laughs> megabrain, new tools for mind expansion, the revolutionary engine, engine sorry, the revolutionary eng- energy machine, and Lazarus, the 35,000-year-old guru channeled by Jack Purcell. Another bullet point. 
The Brain Mind Expansion Intensive Dome, designed by John David, for a broad range of brain brain mind expansion applications, including the brain damage reduction. The dome comes complete with a comprehensive sound training of the certification training stereo decks, amplifiers, switchers, cables, and the brain mind matrix mixer. Patent pending. Soundproofing the materials and consulting also included. The price? Eh, only $65,000. Next bullet point. A bulk mailing card instructing you to rub a purple, a purple spot of the card with your index finger and then to press your finger firmly on the ball between and roll it from left to right. Now you're ready to call the Cosmic Connection. The connection is 900 number, of course, costing only $3.95 per minute. An experienced, an experienced psychic will enlighten you on all matters, past, present, and future. Can Jack Purcell actually speak to someone who has been dead for tens of thousands of years? This seems rather unlikely. More likely is that we are listening to Jack Purcell's active imagination. Can the brain-mind expansion intensive dome really cure brain damage? Well, let's see the evidence for this remarkable claim. None is offered. Can a psychic really give me deep and meaningful insights over the phone or even in person? I doubt it. What is going on in our culture and thinking that leads us to such beliefs? Theories proffered by skeptics and science, scientists abound. No education, mis, uh, miseducation, lack of critical thinking, rise of religion, decline of religion, displacement of traditional religions by cult, fear of science, the new age, the dark ages revisited, too much television, not enough reading, reading the wrong books, poor parenting, lousy teachers, and plain old ignorance, and stupidity. A correspondent from Ontario, Canada, sent me what was called the quote, the vilest embodiment of what you are up against, end quote. It was a day-glow orange cardboard sign from his local bookstore on which was scrawled, New Age section, move to science section. Quote, I am truly frightened by the ease, from, by the hmm. ease with which society is substituting voodoo and superstition for inquiry and critical exam- examination, he wrote. If there was ever to be an icon showing how far this phenomenon has ingrained itself into our culture, then this sign would surely be it. As a culture, we seem to have trouble distinguishing science from pseudoscience, history from pseudohistory, and sense from nonsense. But I think the problem lies deeper than this. To get to it, we must dig through the layers of culture and society into the individual human mind and heart. There is not a single answer to the question of why people believe weird things, but we can glean some underlying motivations all linked to one another from the diverse examples I have discussed in this book. Credo Consolens. More than any other, the reason people believe weird things is because they want to. It feels good. It is comforting. That's what I fucking said. It is consoling. According to a 1996 Gallup poll, 96% of American adults believe in God. 90% believe in heaven. 79% believe in miracles, and 72% in angels. Wall Street Journal, January 30th, page A8. Skeptics, atheists, and militant anti-religionists, in their attempts to undermine belief in a higher power, life after death, and divine providence, are butting up against 10,000 years of history and possibly 100,000 years of evolution, uh, if religion and belief in God have a biological basis, which some anthropologists believe they do. Throughout all of recorded history, everywhere on the globe, such beliefs and similar percentages are common. 
Until a suitable secular substitute surfaces, these figures are unlikely to change significantly. Suitable secular substitute I know, right? Jesus fucking Christ. Skeptics and scientists are not immune. Martin Gardner, one of the founders of the modern skeptical movement and slayer of all manner of weird beliefs, classifies himself as a philosophical theist, or, a broader term, a fidetist. Fideist. Fideist. Fidelio. (laughs) One who fiddles. Gardner explains... Uh, Fideism refers to believing something on the basis of faith or emotional reasons rather than intellectual reasons. (laughs) Truthiness. As a Fideist, I do not think there are any arguments that prove the existence of God or the immorality of the soul. More than that, I think the better arguments are on the side of the atheists. So it is the case of quixotic emotional belief that really is against the evidence. If you have strong emotional reasons for metaphysical belief, and it's not sharply contradicted by science or logical reasoning, you have a right to make a leap of faith if it provides sufficient satisfaction. 1996. Similarly to the frequently asked question, what is your, pol- what is your, posi- what is your position on life after death? What's your favorite position? Sorry. My standard response is, I'm for it, of course. The fact that I am for life after death does not mean that I'm going to get it. But who wouldn't want it? Never gonna get it, never gonna And that's the point. It. It, it is a very human response to believe in things that make us feel better. The next is immediate gratification. Many weird things offer immediate gratification. The 900 number psychic hotline is a classic example. A magician, (laughs) mentalist friend of mine, works in such a hotline, so I've been privileged to hear how the system operates from the inside. Most companies charge $3.95 per minute, with the psychic receiving 60 60 cents per minute. That's $36 an hour for the psychic. If the psychic works continuously, and $201 for the company. Uh, The goal is to keep callers on the line long enough to turn a good profit, but not so long that refuse to pay the phone bill. Currently, my friend's record for a single call is 201 minutes for a total of $793.95. Jesus. People call for more than four reasons. People call, sorry, people call for one or more of four reasons. Love, health, money, career. Using cold reading techniques, the psychic begins broad and works towards specifics. Quote, I sense there is some tension in your relationship. One, One of you is more committed than the other. End quote. <laughs> quote, I'm getting the feeling that financial pressures are causing problems for you. End quote. Quote, you've been thinking about changing careers. Such trite statements are true for almost everyone. If your psychic chooses the wrong one, the psychic only has to say it will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And the psychic will, have a right, uh, will be right occasionally. Callers forget, and, uh, f- callers forget the misses and remember the hits. And, most important, they want the psychic to be right. Skeptics don't spend $3.95 a minute on psychic hotlines. Believers do. Calling mostly at night and on the weekends, most need someone to talk to. Traditional psychotherapy is formal, expensive, and time-consuming. Deep insight and improvement may take months, even years. Delay of gratification is the norm. Instant satisfaction, the exception. By contrast, the psychic is only a telephone call away. Many 900 number psychics, including my friend, justify it as poor man's counseling. At $3.95 a minute, I beg to differ. Interestingly, the two major psychic associations are in conflict with the so called real psychics, feeling that the psychic entertainers 
are making them look phony. Simplicity. Immediate gratification of one's belief is made all the easier by simple explanations for an often complex and contingent, and contingent world. Good and bad things happen to both good and bad people seemingly at random. Scientific explanations are often complicated and require training and effort to work through. Superstition and belief in fate and the supernatural provide a simpler path through life's complex maze. Consider the following example from Harry Edwards, head of the Australian Skeptics Society. As an experiment, on March 8, 1994, Edwards published a letter in his local newspaper in St. James, New South Wales, about his pet chicken, which perches on his shoulder, occasionally leaving its, caller's card, its calling card there. Keeping track of the time and location of the chicken's deposits and correlating them with subsequent events, Edwards told researchers that he was the recipient of good luck. Over the past few weeks, I've won the lotto, had money returned to me, and I've completely forgotten about and received a large order for my recently published books. Edward's son, who also dons the chicken and, and its markings on one wearing uh, found wallets containing sums of money, uh, which was returned to its owners and received rewards. On another, a wristwatch, an unused phone card, a pensioner's card, and clock. Edwards then explained that he took the chicken's feathers to a palmist checked his horoscope and consulted a past lies reader who confirmed that it was a reincarnated philanthropist and I should spread the good luck around by selling the product. He ended his letter by offering Isn't to sell his... oxymoronic? Or, like, at least he's, he's altruistic. He ended the letter by offering to sell his lucky chicken crap and providing an address where readers should send their money. Edwards wrote to me exuberantly, quote, as a firm believer that one can sell anything as long as it's associated with good luck, believe it or not, I received two orders and $20 for my lucky chicken crap. I believe it. Morality and meaning. At present, scientific and secular systems of morality and meaning have proved relatively unsatisfying to mo most people. Without belief in some higher power, people ask, why be moral? What is the basis for ethics? What is the ultimate meaning of life? What's the point of it all? Scientists and secular humanists have good answers to these questions, but for many reasons, these answers have not reached the population at large. To most people, science seems to offer only cold and brutal logic in its presentation of an infinite, uncaring, and purposeless, purposeless universe. Pseudoscience, superstition, myth, magic, and religion, religion offer simple, immediate, and consoling canons of morality and meaning. Because I used to be a born-again Christian, I empathize with those who feel threatened by science. You have to shoot morality out of a cannon? Who feels threatened? Everyone. Wow, he was a born-again Christian. Like other magazines, every so often, Skeptic sends a mass mailing of to tens of thousands of people in order to increase, increase circulation. Our mailings include a business reply, a business reply mail envelope with the literature about Skeptic Society and Skeptic. Never in these mailings do we discuss religion, God, theism, atheism, or anything whatsoever to do with subjects. Yet every mailing, we receive dozens of our postage-paid envelopes back from people obviously offended by our existence. Some of the envelopes are stuffed with trash or shredded newspaper. One was glued to a box filled with rocks. Some contain our own literature scrawled with messages of doom and gloom. No thank you. There is none so blind as those who will not see, reads one. No thanks. I'll pass on your anti-Christian bigotry, says another. Including your skeptics, every kneel bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, warns a third. 
Many are filled with religious pamphlets and literature. One person sent me, Free ticket number 777, eternal admittance to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Really? That's all you need? The price of admission is simple. A buck oh five. (laughs) I merely have to acknowledge Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That very moment, you're saved forever. And if I don't, the flip side is that another ticket is a free ticket to spend eternally at the Lake of Fire with the devil and his angels. Can you guess the number of the ticket? Six, six, six. That's correct. The number of the beast. If there were only one thing skeptics, scientists, philosophers, and humanists could do to address the overall problem of belief in weird things, constructing a meaningful and satisfying system of morality and meaning would be a good place to start. Finally, hope springs eternal. Linking all these reasons together is the title of the final part of this book. It expresses my conviction that humans are, by nature, a forward-looking species always seeking greater levels of happiness and satisfaction. Unfortunately, the corollary is that humans are all too willing to grasp at unrealistic promises of a better life or to believe that a better life can only be attained by clinging to intolerance and ignorance, by lessening the lives of others. And sometimes, by focusing on a life to come, we miss what we have in this life. It is a different source of hope, but it is hope nonetheless. Hope that human intelligence, combined with compassion, can solve our myriad problems and enhance the quality of each life. Hope that historical progress continues on its march toward greater freedoms and acceptance for all humans. And hope that reason and science, as well as love and empathy, can help us understand our universe, our world, and ourselves. Thank you for listening to another episode of Literally Literary. Deep State! Deep State!